This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, we're here with another episode of Advantage Connors. Let's get right into it. Coming to you as always, your co-host Jimmy and Brett Connors. How are you this evening? It's, it's evening your time. You're in Sweden. I'm in uh, Santa Barbara, California, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I know you've uh, you've had a busy week. And and uh, but we got some sunshine over here, which is good. We've been about six seven weeks without sun, and the sun's out, and I think summer's here, so it's all good. Nice. Yeah. It's, uh, sun's actually been out here. Uh, been, been driving all around Sweden since I last spoke with you. We drove down to the, to the Southern part and, uh, went to our friend's wedding, Mana and Johanna got married. Congratulations to them. Melina was part of the wedding and I was there just kind of tagging along. It was a lot of fun. I didn't understand a word of it. <laughs> yeah yeah it had to be fun though yeah to be honest everyone kept coming up to me and, and apologizing oh i must sorry you don't understand anything you don't you must not understand it must be terrible for you and to be honest it was perfect you realize there's zero pressure on you when you don't understand anything you can just kind of right. sit back you know you kind of get the gist of what's going on you know when people start to cry you know the, that must be emotional stuff and when they laugh or they tell a story <laughs> about when they're kids and you know and stuff like that so it was a lot of fun we had a really good table of people and just congratulations to them oh one of the, we stayed at the IKEA hotel yeah how was that tell me about that I put out a picture. Uh, yeah, we stayed two nights. The IKEA Hotel. Who knew that they had one? It's uh, in the town where they, a little bit away from where they had the wedding, but it's um, in a notoriously cheap part of Sweden. And the owner, the person who created IKEA, was notoriously a cheap person, I guess. And you know, hence the 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 wood and the, some of the material used to make IKEA maybe doesn't last so long, but you know, it's kind of not meant to, that's not the the point of it. Maybe it's, it's for students and, and people who move more or whatever, have kids and, and, and stuff like that. So uh, right. th- that's where the Ikea hotel was. It was pretty cool. I have thought there was going to be, you know, like those little scanning codes, the QR codes on all the furniture inside the hotel, you know, like, or, or price tags where everything would be for sale or, or you could like check it out online. <laughs> But uh, right. none of it was like that. It was it was a cool little spot and not too expensive. Had good breakfast, so that was fun. And then we we took a little five six hour trip up the coast, the west coast of Sweden, which I've never been to, to a town called Smögen, S M O mm. with the two dots G E N. Actually, a really beautiful little town. We stayed there, had some good seafood. Took a ferry out to this little island. It, it's like a little a giant like rock island almost where it has its own kind of environment and habitat. It had some rabbits out there. It looks like lizard's mouth in Santa Barbara. In Santa Barbara, yeah, nice. Anybody knows that. You know, it's just a, t- a big, giant kind of rock island, and you kind of can go out there and play, and there's different swimming areas and, and holes and stuff like that. And so we took the drone out there. There's a lighthouse, so that was pretty fun. We uh, played mini golf. So I got uh, 18 holes of mini golf in. Melina beat my butt. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then now we're back in Stockholm. We played uh, 22 holes of golf at one of my favorite courses, Brohoff Slot. 
That's the name of it, Brohoff Slot. Right. And uh, and now we're back. We had some dinner, and now we're here recording the podcast with you. So uh, what's going yeah. on with you? Tell me about your day. What's going on? You haven't stopped for a minute. You've been going uh, ever since you left. And and the good thing is you've got your bags finally, right? You, yes. You got, you've got your luggage. So that, that's a good thing. Better late than never. Update. The clubs finally came about f- uh, five or six, six, seven days late. And then my second bag, which was mostly my clothes and, and stuff like that, came two or three days later after the weekend, just uh, last two nights ago. So I'm, I'm back. Right, but fo- I will say you sent me a picture from the wedding. Uh, you and, and Melwin looked uh, looked beautiful. You, you, got, you, you must have found some good clothes someplace. So, uh, But you guys look great at the wedding. So, Yep. But but over here, you, know, you, you left Bella, uh, your little golden doodle with us and and uh, today we've had a busy day it was uh bath and brushing day for uh-huh. bogey and bella so we've kind of been on the road we um we go out where we used to live we used to live in san inez which is a valley right here on the central coast about 45 minutes from santa barbara and uh our uh, our vet is still out there uh, dr dean so we travel a little bit to take care of our pets and now we're home and and uh, we're a little worn out too well, we haven't been doing as much running as you guys have, but it's been a good day so far, and it's, it's good to be in touch with you. So how do they look? You got to send me a picture. Bella's pretty fancy. You know, she gets her hair done. She, she likes to keep her eyelashes long so that oh, she yeah. can kind of bat them at you and, and get her get you to do whatever uh, she wants you to do. Um, but you got to... I, I, will, I, I will say one thing, uh, that uh, she is so good in the car. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah, she and and uh, Bogey were in the back seat with with uh, with mom as we went over there. I was uh, the sh- uh, chauffeur driver the, the today, and I mean she just laid there and and all she wants to do is, is be able to touch you. Mm-hmm. So you know mom mom's dealing with Bogey, but also with Bella. Bella's just laying there saying a little attention for me. That'd be good. I'm happy with that. And uh, yeah, there was uh, it was it, no frills, no hassles, no anything getting over there and back and. It's about a 45 minute drive each way over, mm-hmm. over a little mountain pass, you know, but it's worth it because for our friend who takes care of us or takes care of our, our pets, she's so good with them. And, and when they come out, they're just, I mean, they look, they look great. So she, she will be waiting for you uh, when, when you guys get home, uh, all spruced up and, and ready to go. Nice. Nice. Plus you get to see friend of the podcast, Casey DeFranco. She lives out there. We have to get her on the pod one day. That would be fun. Well, we, well, we we spent about two and a half hours with her today, waiting for the pups to be ready. And uh, geez, uh, you know, my my face is frozen uh, with a with a laugh and a smile on it. We laugh so hard. So nice. It's always good to to catch up with Casey. She's great. Nice. How's the weather? Is the June gloom? It doesn't. Once you get over the pass, there, it's pretty nice. So I'm guessing it was warm out in the valley. Yeah, it was warm in the valley, but we got great. You know, the, today is beautiful here. It's about 72 degrees and the sun's shining. So. You know, June is, uh, it's got another, you know, 10 days or so, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can burn this off and, and start getting some good sunshine and into summer. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. A lot of, uh, a lot of warm weather over here. Listen, I'm giving a weather report. Anybody need a meteorologist? <laughs> I'm ready. Right. So let's get to some action. We had some action here this past weekend with the U.S. Open Golf. It was fun. Yep. Talk to me about that a little bit. I, uh, I, I had the app and, and was trying to watch a little bit on my phone while we were running around, but. I didn't want to be that guy at the wedding who was uh, streaming sports, you know, so the, that the American guy <laughs> watching the, the U.S. Open back home. But uh, I kept an eye on it. Talk to me uh, what you what you walked away uh, thinking about it, because I know you kept an eye on it all weekend. Yeah, I did. Uh, and it, it was interesting. It was in L.A. at the L.A. Country Club and uh, a, a beautiful course. They have two courses there and 
and I think it was on the North Course. And and uh, the GSA has spent, I guess, the last couple of years preparing and getting it ready, and and uh, you know making it U.S. Open worthy. And you know, I guess that was really the thought in in a lot of people's mind is you know how would that stand up? How would the, the LA Country Club stand up under the U.S. Open expectations and pressures of of being a U.S. Open site? And after the first round where Ricky Fowler shot, I think he shot a record-breaking 62, which uh, which is eight under on that course. You know, people were kind of scratching their heads and going, oh boy, what's we, you know, what's going to win this 20 under, 25 under, you know, like, uh, you know, like one of the normal tournament uh, courses that the guys play where they just, you know, go in and blister it and, and, uh, and shoot 25 under. And, but, but boy, you know, the weather changed a little bit. They got a little sunshine, they got a little breeze and, really, uh, you know, made a difference in the course and, and, uh, you know, watching it, I, you know, I think, you know, it, the, after the first day, I think follower was eight under in the lead and, you know, and I'll, I'll just throw it out the 10 under ended up winning the tournament, but that was what was the most interesting was to listen to a lot of not only on the TV experts, you know, call for a score, but also, you know, just talking around, you know, the golf course, you know, where I play and things, you know, what do you think's going to win, you know, who's going to be in, in the lead and, uh, you know, can Fowler do it because he's a California guy and he's, you know, kind of local in, in the LA area. And so it was some good conversation and, uh, you know, made for a good talk while we were, while we were trying to play around ourselves. But yeah. the end result though, Brad, is the course turned out to be, uh, uh, for me, a great site because it had a lot of everything. It had, you know, a 295 yard par three. And then I think uh, I don't know. Uh, on the back nine, it had it had a hundred and twenty yard par three. Right. You know, they could play as little as eighty yards if they wanted it to. So doesn't ten under still seem weird? Seeing ten under win is like kind of blasphemous with the U.S. Open. Yeah, it it, it does because you're you know you kind of thinking and you're looking in the past that you know what wins sometimes you know over par wins the the U.S. Open. But uh, after you know I said after the first day, it, it sure you know, held up to, you know, to a U.S. open site. And I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful club anyway. And, and the course is beautiful and, you know, uh, uh, you know, to, to watch it. And, and I've, I've had the, the opportunity to play the course a couple of times and, you know, going down, I'd say, Oh, should I know that hole? I remember that hole. Jeez, mm-hmm. what, look at the change that they made. You know, they, they've lengthened this one. They shortened that one. And, and, you know, how it played was, uh, you know, was pretty fun to watch. You know, we talk, about tennis the same way though, Brad, we talked this about tennis. It's fun to see, you know, guys that have been around and, and, and have been touted as, you know, the next generation and great players is it's good to see them finally, you know, step up and take a grab of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, and, and be a part of it. And that's, uh, and, and that's what, uh, I think his name is Wyndham, Wyndham Clark, right? Right. Yeah. That, uh, that won the tournament. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, uh, a few things I'm going to disagree with you on, on a good amount of this. I have a feeling, I think, uh, it was kind of a weird course to have it at just because it's a private course, you know, which is fine. That's, that's, you know, not the first private course to have it, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a private course where they have a strict set of rules, 250 grand to join something like that. You're not allowed to be on your cell phone anywhere. You're not even allowed to put your shoes on in the parking lot. You either have to show up with your shoes on or put them on in the, in the locker room. Uh, celebrities are not allowed to join. So it's like, you know, very, very exclusive country club. And you're used to the U S open having uh, big crowds, 
you know, because right. it's the U.S. It's, right it's our open championship. It's, it should be open for players and open for people and anybody who wants to come and watch and, uh, you know, something to try and grow the sport. And so to see some of the crowds so limited, I guess I saw that, you know, a lot of the tickets got sold to members and then those members just sat on the tickets or didn't sell them, weren't able to, I don't know, weren't able to sell them, something like that. But to see 18, I think it was 18 guys finished under par at the U.S. Mm -hmm. Open was pretty crazy. I mean, you're right. It kind of evened itself out after the first couple of days, but still like the first page of the leaderboard, you know, none of those guys, except for Ricky shot in this much, much more than like 70, 71 or two. Mm -hmm. You're right on all counts. I mean, uh, you're used to, you know, 40, 50,000 people, you know, uh, being on the grounds at the U S open or, you know, in all the tournaments to, you know, to watch the guys play. And I think, I think LA country club limited it to uh, either 18,000 or 20,000 you know, fans to, you know, to come through there, but most mm -hmm. of them were in the, the suites, right. <laughs> the, not out on the course walking around and, and uh, you're right in a lot of ways, but it was also, you know, kind of, you know, for me, kind of good to see, uh, you know, guys go in and, and, you know, to see what kind of course, uh, you know, the, the different private courses, you know, that are here, uh, are, you know, in this mm -hmm. country and, you know, in this state and, and, and around the world that, uh, that you can play, that you can turn into, uh, a U.S. Open golf course, and, and you know, and have it, you know, hopefully stand up to the to the expectations. And mm -hmm. we talked many times. I like it when the U.S. Open is is kind of even par and wins. Mm -hmm. And you're right, 18 guys under par. That's not used to seeing that. But nobody really broke out of the pack. Yeah, they shoot a good score and they be in the lead, and and then all of a sudden they jump up and they make a couple bogeys in a row or a double bogey here, and you know, they're a double bogey there. There was danger you know, at every turn. And, and if you didn't manage your game, right. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, just like tennis, you don't manage your game, right. You know, and, and know when to attack and know when to kind of lay back and play a little defense to get, to get through the the whole 18 holes that way, you know, shit, it, it, it can jump up and bite you. And, and I think, you know, it did, you know, to yeah. a lot of players that, you know, were up there close to the top of the lead that only finished, you know, two, three under three, four under and, mm -hmm. and could have had a chance to win. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I get your point. You know, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to you know see a lot of what they do next year. Yeah, yeah. What you know, what happens next year? Where they go next year? What they're looking for, and and you know what changes they'll make. So, be fun to see. You know, the USGA getting shit. You know, like with the low score and and that that they're going to come back and and try and make wherever it is next year. They're going to make that like as hard as they possibly can. Pinehurst number two. Pinehurst number two. Yeah, yeah. Pinehurst. So they're going to. Yeah. Those greens will be slick as ice, as Bermuda yeah, I, wax. I've, I've had the pleasure of playing Pinehurst number two, and uh, it's a course that is worthy of a of a U.S. Yeah. Open. I mean, if you know, for me, you know, going out, I'm I'm not a, a golf course expert or a golf course designer expert. When you say, "Oh, Tillinghast did this," and this guy, you know, and and you know, I'm, I'm I go out and I play a course, and and it, I come off, and if I can remember holes, yeah, that stand out to you, that that stand out to me, you know, that's the impression that I'm looking for, and you know, in the greens, if there's, you know, if, uh, you know, where to hit it, and the bumps, and you know, and and the breaks, and and how the how fast the uphill, the downhill, but yeah, uh, I'm learning, uh, uh, I'm learning. Talk to me a little bit about some of the people who did well at the U.S. Open. Seven Americans that were either in the top ten or tied for the top ten. 
you had Shoffley up there who was up there the whole time and then just kind of like petered out. You know, he shot 62 the first day. He was up there with Fowler and then kind of went 70, 73, 72. Dustin Johnson played good. He just, like a lot of guys, you said, they'd play themselves into position and then they would just kind of, you know, shoot even. The, the course got a little harder, hard, you know, this, uh, hardened up a little bit. But talk to me about Fowler. Fowler was in the lead looking like it was, this was the best chance for him to win a slam in a really long time. You know, he's fixed. He, he redid his whole swing about a year and a year and a half ago. He's a, he's a good kid. A lot of people like him on tour and he's fun to root for. He's the one guy who on Sunday, it, it snuck up and got him. He shot 75 on Sunday. You know, I think he was tied for the lead going in. He ends up five strokes back. What do you, uh, right. what do you think about Fowler? Is he going to be somebody, you know, going forward now in the future? Who's, who's a contender week in and week out? Yeah, but he, but uh, you know he he has been he he has been playing better golf lately, and you know listen every everybody goes through slumps, and he got into reworking his game and his swing, and we talk a lot uh, you know tennis wise also it's not you know a big move that I don't think that you have to make it's a little you know tinker here a little tinker there that you know that's going to improve you and make you a better player and and some you know sometimes uh, you know that takes a little more time than expected. But but you're right. He's he's a good root for because of that. I I like to see guys, you know, that uh, that have been at the top of their game, and and he has been. He's won and he's won a lot of tournaments. He's been uh, very popular, you know, on uh, for commercials and you yeah. know being being very visible. You know, to go through hard times and 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 to work your way through that and to come out of it. You know, sometimes you come out of it a better player. You know, that's what you're working for. And if you come out a better player from where you were, then, you know, how good is that? I mean, even, even Tiger reworked his swing. That right. was, I, I think, did he do that twice, you know, or something, but you know, that, uh, because you're never satisfied, I guess, you know, yeah. no matter how good you get and, you know, you're always trying to get better. And then when you do fall on hard times and, and, and you're, you don't feel you're striking the ball like you should, or, you know, your direction's a little off, then, then, then you still have to, you know, continue to work on that. So the, mm -hmm. the little intricacies, of a, of a golf swing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not privy to that, you know, like I want to use it again. That's above my pay grade. I just, you know, take the club back and try to put the, the club face on the ball and hope it goes in the right direction. Yeah. But the end result is, is he, he's a fun, he's a fun guy to root for. And, and also, you know, I mean, look at the guys, Rory, Rory was up there. McElroy was yep. up there. Dustin Johnson, Shoffley. I, I, I like, I like rooting for him too. Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler, well, I mean, he's, you know, look he's at his, good, man. his record the last, what, year and a half or two years has been amazing. He's and, good. And I mean, his iron game, if he could make a putt, he he was somebody Sunday where there was a couple times he like got to seven under and then he would like make a bogey or bogey twice in a row. And he was somebody where you're like, he, he just needed like to get one more putt going and he could maybe get to 10 under or nine under and put a little pressure on, on Clark and, and Rory. But uh, Cameron Smith in there again, he's a big time player, LIV guy. Um, you know, John Rom three under, he was, he was seven back. A lot of big name players in there. Yeah, but Rom made a run late. Uh, you know, yeah. he he was he was struggling at the beginning and uh, over par, and you know, ended up making the cut and and then uh, five you know, under on up, Sunday. You know, yeah, five under on Sunday, which is uh, you know pretty. You know, that's a pretty good Sunday score. You know, yeah. there was five under was sixty five in and, the hardest conditions and, of the uh, week. Yeah, yeah, it, we have always spoken about Brett, just like you know Wimbledon or the U.S. Open in tennis. You know the the you know who's going to rise to the top. You know, and, and if you look at it, you know, look at the guys that are up there, you know, uh, uh, let, let's take the winner out for a moment. 
You know, you got McElroy, you got Dustin Johnson, you got John Rahm, you got Shoffley. Mm, Scheffler. You've got uh, Cameron Smith. Fleetwood. Oh, yeah, uh, he's one of my favorites, Tommy Fleetwood. I, I, I love watching him play. I love yeah, his I like swing. his swing, too. You know, but look look at the guys. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, all, all guys that have, uh, you know, have made a reputation for themselves and, you know, won big tournaments, run, uh, won tournaments around the world. What do you think about Rory? Uh, you know, in contention on another Sunday in, in the final round of a slam. This time, which it seems like a lot of times, he has more experience than a lot of the other guys around him. You know, definitely way more experience than Wyndham Clark has. You know, I don't know how mm -hmm. many people knew Wyndham Clark before this weekend. You know, not to take anything away, he played amazing. And, you know, he just, he did what he had to do. He shot even on Sunday in, in a slam and, and, and nobody challenged him. You know, so did, so did Rory. You know, and it's not like he shot bad. There's a lot of these opportunities where Rory is in contention on the last day of a slam and you're going like, maybe this is the day. Maybe now's the time where he's going to get the, you know, the next slam because it's been a while since he won. What is it about it that he, you know, is it just he's going to keep knocking and eventually he's going to get in? I mean, that's kind of what I think. If he keeps putting himself in position, eventually he's going to make one or two more putts over 72 freaking holes and, and, you know, his name's going to be on the trophy. Right. I'm not going to you know, spew any venom his way. And here's why. And I think you're right. I think as long as you're in contention that, uh, you know, one putt here, one putt there, as long as you're giving yourself a chance, you know, week in and week out. And he is, I'm going to go back to my tennis days when, uh, you know, I, I was winning, you know, everything. And then I went for three years and didn't win a grand slam. And all of a sudden, Oh, you know, he's getting too old. He's over the hill. He's not as good as he thought he was. He's this, he's that. You know, so I, I'm I'm not going there. I'm not like all those experts that that uh, that do that. Mm -hmm. I'm this kind of guy. <laughs> I'm a guy who's saying, keep doing what you're doing and keep working your ass off like you're doing, and good things will happen. Right. That's what I'm saying. And and because he's too good and he's got too good a swing and he and and but I am going to say this. I think I think now that's going to free him up a little bit. He doesn't have that kind of pressure on him. Allows him to go out and, 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 and work on his game. Not that he wasn't working on his game, but, you know, sometimes working on your game, uh, with, with nothing else on your mind is the most important to do, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where, where you just free yourself up. And, and, uh, and I think taking a lot of that pressure off of him that, that was, uh, that he had put on himself, I'd have to say it that way, because he, he's the one that chose that route to go. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I think that's going to, you know, like I said, it's going to free him up. It's going to allow him to, uh, to concentrate more on, on that. You know, I'm the guy who says, keep putting yourself in position, keep taking care of your business and don't let anybody else get in your head. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think you're right. I just think it's, uh, you know, you don't want to throw too many of these chances away because sure he might eventually get one, but wouldn't it be nice to have two or three of these in this like three or four year run because he's, you know, he's playing good golf. Yeah. But brother, he might, he might, he might get one and then get four. Yeah. Yeah. You're you right. Know, he might go on a little run. He, yeah. He's got to get the one first. Right. And I think the way he's been playing, because look at it, brother, even though he did, he hasn't won a major in, we have to go back a number of years. I'm afraid to say how many, but cause I might be wrong, but it's been a, f a number of years since he has, he's still won tournaments Yeah, and he's still won, won big tournaments and, and has put himself in position to win majors. And, and that in, in, in the light of everything, that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is out there trying to do the same thing and that's win, you right. know, and, and that's what you're fighting against. 
So, you know, it, I, and I'll- 2014 was his last, uh, he won two slams, 2014, the PGA and the British, and he'll get, he, he'll get a shot to win the British this year. He's still got one more slam coming up next month. So 2014, that's seven, eight, nine, that's almost 10 years now, nine, nine and change years. And, and, uh, you know, but you know, he's still, you know, he's still young. Look at his last two years, Masters second, PGA eighth, US Open fifth, British third, cut at the Masters this year, which was surprising. PGA tied mm-hmm. for seventh, US Open second. He's yeah. up there. I mean, he's, you know, he's top eight every time. I, I don't know. He'll get it. It's just the problem is you're right. There's so many good players now. There's a lot of guys right. when you sit there and I was looking at, you know, I put a little money down on a few guys before every slam just because, you know, it's fun to do. And then, you know, maybe you get lucky and hit on on a long shot or something. And uh, when you go down the list, you're like, you know, I'm going to put 10 on this guy, you know, 20 on this guy and 10 on that guy. And you're like, well, he might have a chance too. 10. All right. All right. And then, well, Max Homa owns the course record. All right. Another 10. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you have like seven or eight guys because you, there's a lot of guys that you could theoretically, you know, see right. winning a, a major or any week in weekend and week out on the tour. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, see. But I, I would, I would, I'm glad I saw that, you know, where it was pressure on everybody coming down the stretch. I'm glad, I'm sure uh, uh, Clark would have loved to have been six shots coming down 18, you know, in the lead. You know, but but for a spectator, uh, you know, to to look and to see pressure that they're under and how they handled the pressure and what what it took for, uh, you know, for him to come through and to win that tournament. Whereas, you know, he had only won, I think, one tournament before, and that was uh, like within the last six weeks. Right. He didn't like take it. You know, I mean, he 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 didn't like come and grab it. He kind of like held on. He bogeyed two of the last four holes. Sometimes, sometimes that you know, holding on is the right thing to do. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not not taking it away from him, but like, there's there's certain ones where guys come and like win it, where you're like, oh, he came and took it. You know, they birdie mm-hmm. the last hole, or they go, you know, you know, two under the last five holes, or whatever it is. You know, and and you look at Rory. Rory was even the last four holes. You know, good, right? But he had that six on fourteen where it was like, if he just played those three holes, 14 through 16, where, where Wyndham went, you know, had two bogeys, you know, it might've been a little different outcome, but you know, we'll see, we'll follow it. And, uh, and we'll talk about it once yeah. we get to the British open next month. That's after Wimbledon. So we got a lot of stuff going on. All right. You've heard the term. There's no I in team, but there is one in indeed. And that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for the candidates with the right skills, Indeed's got a powerful hiring platform that can help you do all of it. We streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches the job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. You know what I like about Indeed? I don't like busy work. I don't like menial paperwork and day-to-day annoying stuff like that. So if I got to hire, I want it to be easy. I want it to be simple, streamlined, all in one place, and that's Indeed. We get you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates. Indeed is... Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined according to Talent Nest 2019. Start hiring now with a $75 job sponsor credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash Connors. Offer good for a limited time. 
Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Connors. Just go to Indeed.com slash Connors and support the show by saying you heard it here on our podcast, Advantage Connors. Indeed.com slash Connors. Terms and conditions apply. Do you need to hire? Then you need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk a little tennis. I don't want to talk too much. I know you're tired and uh, I got to get to bed. I got to get to bed. You, you, you got to listen to this. I get in, we're staying at our good friend's house. We house switch, swapped, switch, swapped. Uh-huh. Uh, Melina has some friend, family friends who live here, Ilva and Daniel, and uh, they let us use their house. Nice. They have a nice little house here, a little nice three, four bedroom house that is all to ourselves. Got a pool, kitchen, everything. I'm sitting here at the kitchen table recording this. Uh, it's been great. Love it. They're at our apartment. Uh, there's like five or six people at our apartment having fun. They're going out in LA, going up to San Francisco. So I get here the first day we go to bed. I'm like, yeah, let's sleep in. I've got a little jet lag. I want, you know, crash out, sleep as late as I can, if possible. 7 a.m. construction next door. Oh boy. Wake up. You know, they got bulldozers. Okay, whatever. It's fine. Whatever. Get up. So we get to again, the little town we went to on the West coast, check in uh-huh. after the wedding and going and driving and doing this. I'm like, oh, why don't we, why don't we sleep in a little bit, you know, go down and, and get breakfast. 6.30 in the morning, noise outside the window, construction. <laughs> They're getting ready for their midsummer concert that's coming up. So uh, I got to get to bed kind of soon, but let's talk a little tennis. Two good tournaments this week for the men on grass that I want to talk to you about that you've got a little experience in. We got Queens in London in England, and then Halle, the old Gary Weber Open. Do you remember that? Oh, of course. In Halle, Germany. In Halle. <laughs> I think uh, that was uh, the first year that they had Halle that I went over there. Nine, it was like 94, 95, I think. Yeah, could could have been. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Queen, Queens, I always like playing Queens better because uh, I'd come from uh, the French yeah. uh, when, I, when I played the French. So coming off the... You know the slow clay of Roland Garros with uh, with the heavy balls. You know to to Queens was uh, what you know was a nice change, a little quicker, and kind of uh, spend a a day or two before the tournament and and uh, get used to the grass. But uh, the grass at Queens, the center court at Queens. Now I I might get uh, a shovel in the head for saying this was as good, if not better, than the center court at Wimbledon. Really, the the grounds creeper Dave, I think his name was Dave, was uh, was so good and and just took care of that court and had the courts in really unbelievable shape for you know for the tournament, especially that center court and and even the outside courts, uh, you know, uh, for practice and all that were always always really good, you know, which gave good preparation to you know to go to Wimbledon and and if you're lucky enough to get on the center court or court one at Wimbledon on on the show courts then you were kind of, you know, ready and knew what to expect. But uh, I, I liked playing Queens because it gave me, uh, you know, an opportunity to, you know, kind of work on my game and, you know, and also get some matches on on the faster courts, uh, the the faster grass courts. It used to the bounce a little bit more. And then, 
and then before the tournament started, uh, the Wim- Wimbledon started after Queens, I'd have a, I'd have some days off mm-hmm. where it would just be practice and, and, uh, working on my game a little bit. And you would practice there. You wouldn't go and start practicing early at Wimbledon. You'd practice still at Queens. Yeah. I'd stay at Queens and, and, uh, and, and play there. I'd go out, uh, you know, probably, you know, on the weekend or, you know, once or twice to Queens and play, but you know, you couldn't, you couldn't play on the center court or court one. Uh, hopefully that's where they were going to put me, but not all the time. So <laughs> for me, I mean, you won it a few times. You won Queens, I think, what, three times or something. I did. I, I won it three times. I had a good run there and, and they were great. Uh, they, they had a great sponsor there and the people that ran it were always, you know, very nice to us and, and, uh, going over there, but the groundskeeper, I want to give him props. Dave, uh, I'm sure Dave, David was, was his first name. I wish I could remember his last name because he was magnificent and uh, the way he took care of those courts there and, you know, and, and kind of, you know, helped us out to, to get some practice even after the tournament was over. But uh, yeah. And then, yeah. and then hollow, we played, we played one year. That was an experience. Before we go, Queens, one of the coolest trophies, right? Out of all the trophies you won and, and, and all of them on tour, it's that big one with the big kind of, uh, you know, big handles on the side, the big silver jug kind of. Yeah. You got to be a weightlifter to pick that up. That, <laughs> is that, is that uh, pretty heavy in real life? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's no small feat, but uh, you know, listen, getting through that tournament—that's that's a tough tournament to win, also, Brad. Because you know, a lot of guys they come right from from the French, and and uh, you know, to to get on the grass, it's a it's a change of the game and yeah. and uh, a change of bounce. Uh, not not so much now, but back then it was, and uh, it, it was always a, a tough tournament to win. The crowd was right on top of you, which I liked. It had a great old little uh, old clubhouse and. You know, you go in, you sit with your buddies and, you know, watch the matches from, you know, from up in the locker room. And it was a good hang for, you know, for the week before or, or the two weeks before Wimbledon to kind of get acclimated and, and uh, used to the surroundings. It was always a good hang for me. And and uh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, a lot of great history, too. Right. Like I remember they have a lot of cool pictures and kind of memorabilia stuff around there that uh, you can look at that goes way back. Right. Hollow was a, a fun. One. I remember we went there in '95. I think. I think you made like the quarterfinal. You made a little run. Hollow is a small tournament in the small little German town. I mean, it's probably not that small, but it seems small. I remember we flew into Frankfurt, maybe or yeah, I think into Frankfurt. Right. Into Frankfurt, and then for some reason we needed to get there fast, or we had a press thing or something. We didn't. They didn't have a car for us. They had a helicopter for us. So we had our own own helicopter, which I'm like, I'm, I'm 15. I'm like, wow, this is rad. You know, I'm half, <laughs> half out of it from the trip over, but I'm like, this is going to be cool. Let's do this. So we get in the helicopter and I remember we're flying and, you know, this is that, and this is, you know, this is that freeway is the Autobahn and, you know, pointing out all this stuff and you're in the back and I'm in the front left and the pilots on my right. And I remember he kept pointing out stuff and kind of leaning over us and pointing back behind you. And, you know, he was doing a great job as a tour guide, you know, only problem was he was also the pilot of the helicopter and uh, he's pointing off to the left outside my left window. And I remember I like peer around his shoulder and I see one of those, like might've been a glider or one of those really small, like single engine planes off our right side. And it's coming right at us. (laughs) <laughs> do you remember that? No, I don't. I'm, and I'm glad I don't. <laughs> oh my. And I remember no. like, I just kind of reached up and like started to point and then he like looked and he grabbed the stick and like pulled it up and we kind of went up and uh, the other way or out of the way. 
made our way to Hala and landed there uh, for, for the important press junket uh, that was uh, worth getting our lives taken for. But uh, yeah, Hala was a, right. fun, a fun tournament because the, the little hotel's right there. And it's, it's like a 20, it's like, I don't know, a 10 or 12,000 indoor grass tennis stadium. You know, I'm, yeah, sure, it was great. I'm, I'm sure they do other stuff, but I mean, how cool and, and unique is that for, for that to just kind of be this in the middle of Germany like that? Yeah, it was, it was fun to go and play, you know, in a tournament really that's just kind of starting and, and you know, grabbing hold uh, at the time. And, you know, look where that was. That was back, what, 94, 95, something like that. And, you know, now we're in 2023 and it's uh, look at the life it's had and, and where it, what it's growing to. It's growing to be one of the, you know, big, big tournaments now leading up to Wimbledon and, and de- de- deservedly so. I mean, uh, you know, going back, I'm sure the improvements that they made have been quite something, but uh, even back then they were, uh, they were really taking care of the players and, you know, trying to make them as comfortable as they could so that they could play the best tennis possible and help grow the tournament. Uh, So, you know, it's not just one side or the other, the players can't do it alone. The organizers can't do it alone. It takes uh, with everybody, you know, going towards and trying to reach the same goal, which is to make the tournament uh, grow and to be successful. And uh, that, that certainly has done a great job at it. Yeah, I, I pulled it up here. You were like 42 at 42, almost 43 years old uh, in, in 1995. It was 95. You made the quarterfinals, ended up losing to Mark Rosé, who ended up making, uh, let's see, what did he make? He made the semis. He lost to yeah. uh, Edling. But either way, you beat, let's see, who you got here? Sebastian LaRue, a Canadian player, yeah. all right? And then you beat a German guy, Martin Sinner. Yeah. No relation, I don't think, to uh, Yannick. Uh, and then, uh, he lost, lost tough seven, six, six, three to Rosé. Rosé was a big, big serving dude. So on the grass, that must've been not a lot of fun, Well, but, uh, I remember we had a lot of fun, uh, hanging out there and, and we ended up going back to hang out with our buddy, Butch Harmon after that in Houston at lock and bar country club and, and playing a little golf there with him. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. You got a good memory, son. You, you just, uh, Holy crime and that lady. And you were, let's see, I think you were what, 15. I think 15. Like yeah. 15. Yeah. It was fun. I'm glad, I'm glad to see that tournament still, you know, rocking and rolling and doing good, uh, you know, doing good things this time leading up to Wimbledon. It's fun to see. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a 500 level. It's, it's a good tournament and it's, it's one of the two where you think like, Hey man, maybe they should give a little more love to grass, have it another week or something, or make it one of the tournaments of masters 1000, you know, make it 10 days or, you know, 12 days. You know, they have some facilities there and, and a nice court for the main events. But um, one tennis story I want to talk about, I don't want to get into results oh, okay. or anything, but I want to get your take on this. It made me think of you when I saw the story. Mr. Andy Murray, mm-hmm. his goal has been this summer is to try and get seated to play at Wimbledon next month. No, okay. And so he had, so he went and played two challengers. Let's see. Boom. Two challengers. And wins both challengers back to back. He wins titles in Surbiton. 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 Right. Yeah. Surbiton and Nottingham prior to the tournament. Yep. He just lost. And so then he, he wins 10 matches in a row, loses to Dimenauer at Queens in the first round. So it put an end to him trying to make, uh, to be seated. But I thought, you know, I wanted to get your take. Like, what is, is it that big of a deal to try and get into the top 32? And it made me think about how you, when you came back from your injury, I mean, I know Murray's been back and playing for a while, 
but he's, he treats Wimbledon a little bit the way you treated the U S open, you know, like that's his home open, this U S open your home open and hearing him gear everything towards this goal where like he skipped the clay season or most of it, you know, so he could focus. He went and, and, and got on the, on the grass challenges early mm-hmm. so he could get uh, some more match play. So what do you think about Murray, you know, using that as his goal? And is it really that important to get top 32 seeding? You know, I can understand that. But, uh, you know, unless he's looking, you know, at Wimbledon as the ending, that might be enough for him. Or that's the way I kind of looked at the U.S. Open that year, that I was giving it everything I had for that U.S. Open. And that was almost about it. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I went into the U.S. Open better liking being a dangerous floater. Right. I like that. You know, throw me in the draw. You know, I've got nothing to lose. I just came off a, a year away from tennis and have my reconstructed wrist and trying to get back to play. And, and now all of a sudden I'm back and, and uh, you know, got, I've gotten in pretty good shape. I played a couple of matches. I've had a few wins. And, and now now I'm playing in my favorite spot with 20,000 people, you know, going to be riding me to, you know, hopefully, you know, not play one match, but a few matches and, and try to get me through. Throw me in there. You know, I'm yeah. under no pressure. It's the guys that are playing me. They're going to be under the pressure. Right. The old story for me, you know, they threw me in the draw and they somebody came up and says, you play McEnroe. And I said, uh, John McEnroe. Right. You know, and they said, no, Patrick. Well, <laughs> OK, his brother. All right. You know. I could have very well gotten Sampras in the first round too, right. you know, or, or Becker. Some see, well, you had a good record against Edberg. I think you were three and three or something like that and, or six and six. And then three of your wins, you undefeated against them in slams. I know what you mean, but you said you could get one of them. Yeah, that would be terrible. You know, getting somebody, a big seed, big server, or a bad matchup, but then you can also get lucky and get a seed. Who's like, maybe their seed is high because they're coming off the clay court season. Right. You know, they've been crushing it on clay and then all of a sudden now it's, this is grass, you know? And so like, if you can get up, get, you know, matched up against one of them, you beat them, then you inherit that draw and then maybe you can make a little run. I wouldn't want to play him. You know, he's going to have the crowd no. behind him. He's got the experience there, two-time champion there. I don't think a lot of the top CD guys want to play him. No. Even now, that's why I'm saying he's, he's a dangerous floater. Yeah. Outside of maybe Djokovic or uh, Alcaraz. I'm looking right now to see what the futures are. Joker, favorite, minus 160. Carlos, plus 350. Medvedev, minus 6. Zverev, 12. Sinner, 12. And then you got to go all the way down to Murray is 33 to 1. Can he win the tournament? You know, I'm, I'm no, I don't have a crystal ball here, but but I, I got to say him winning that tournament now, three out of five sets, you know, for over a two-week period, seven matches like that is going to be awfully difficult, you know, on, his, on, on him physically. Mm-hmm. Even if he gets a good draw and, and gets through and, you know, plays four or five matches, you know, it's not the first two or three that bother you. It's the last one, <laughs> right? you know, that jumps up and catches you. And Winning seven matches seems like a big ask, but he, I think you're right. It's one of those things where you wouldn't be surprised if he beat almost anybody else. You know, right. sure, it's, it would be an upset, but there's a lot of guys where you'd be like, I don't know. I mean, he's definitely got a fighter's chance against almost anyone else. Yeah. I don't think a lot of guys want to play him either. Right. I wouldn't want to. They'll go in and they'll feel the pressure. Obviously, it's Wimbledon. It's it's his place. It's where he would want to play his best, you know, out of any other place in the world. And as long as he doesn't feel the pressure that he has to perform, outperform his performance for him. Yeah, I don't think he will. I hope he goes in there and he's relaxed and says, I, I've had a good run here. I've won here a couple of times. 
everything I've been through, I'd love to give it one more go. And and that was my feeling, Brad. I don't want to be going out being told that I can't play anymore and that you know, this didn't heal or that. I want him to go out on his terms too. Yeah. And with the feeling that, man, what a run I had and, and I gave it everything I had. And Christ, you know, if I'm getting older and, and it, it's getting too painful and Maybe it's time to, you know, do something else. But I, I, ho- I hope he goes in and uh, doesn't feel that he needs to put any extra pressure on himself that uh, outside of just going and playing good tennis. Yeah, I hope you're right. I mean, if he can work his way into the tournament, not have to play any long five-setters, that's because that's been the thing with him. You know, he has these these classic long five-set or three-set in the smaller tournaments, first or second rounders, and it's like it's tough with a bionic hip and, and you know, being in yeah. your mid, mid or late 30s to have to do that, and, and seven matches is is a big ask. But it'll be fun to watch, and I'll be rooting for him, and we've got to see where the draw comes out, see where he lands and who he gets early. Keep me posted. Uh, I will keep you posted. There's a couple quick questions uh, I just want to get to. Somebody asked a gambling question, wanted to ask me if I could clarify it pretty quick. It's an easy one. It's just talking about when they're talking plus 215 or minus 170. The best way to explain that is to just think about it if you're risking like a hundred bucks. So if, if it's a plus and you bet a hundred dollars, you would get 215 back, you know, $10, $21.50. And then the opposite way, if it's a minus, if you're having to lay, that means the other person is the favorite. So to win a hundred dollars, Let's say it's minus 170, you have to risk 170 to win your 100. So right. if, you, if you think about it in those terms, it's, pr- it's pretty easy. So like if somebody's a minus 1,000, that means if you put 100 bucks, you win 1,000. And if, the, if you want to win uh, 100 bucks, you got to bet 1,000 on the other side. So that's quick. That's easy. There you go. Let me know how the gambling goes and who you like. Uh, I'm on a little cold streak here the last couple of days. It, it's probably not the best thing to gamble when you're just blindly out and doing other stuff in life on vacation, you know, uh, doing weddings and <laughs> no. stuff. You know, it's probably better to actually keep an eye on how the people are playing when you're live betting just to get your fix. The last few days have uh, been a little up and down. So give me what you're looking at. One person asked this one question, and then I'll get you out of here. Okay. Dave McConey said, Jimmy, describe the journey from being broke to having some money. What was that like? <laughs> Because you always talk about like Nadal or when you compliment certain players, you say they play like they're broke. Right. So talk to me about what that means when you're broke and you have nothing to lose or, or what is it that makes you say that? I say play like you're broke, which means that you're playing for your next meal or you're playing for your hotel or your plane fare or, or whatever to get to the next tournament. So then tell me what it was like when you went from being broke to having money. I mean, obviously, tell me about it being great. But then also, was there a little motivation thing that, that happened that you didn't know about? Like that when all of a sudden now you have a bunch of money, was there any time where you caught yourself going like, oh, shit, I'm not playing like I'm broke or I'm, I'm, there's been some change. No. I'm a little more comfortable or some content like creeps in? No. I always played like I was broke. That to me was my feeling every time I walked out there that I ha- I had to play like that. That was that was me. That was my not my that was my game, but but it was my insides mm-hmm. that felt like that to play like that. I I never ever wanted to feel like I was in a comfort zone. You know that I could go out there and half ass anything, get to three all in the fifth and say well, I'm not broke anymore. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not as hungry as I used to be. Never, ever wanted to put myself 
you know, in, in that position, I, I just look back and you know, that's probably for me, the, you know, leaving whatever I left behind, what, whatever our listeners think, you know, thank you for even thinking it. Whatever I left behind was that U.S. Open in 91, where that was playing broke. Yeah. Giving it that kind of effort and, you know, willing to, you know, to stay out there for five hours when, you know, when you're, when, you know, when you don't know what you're looking at behind the curtain. Then tell me the fun part about going from broke to then having money to be able to buy what you wanted to. I saw some pretty good pictures of you wearing a mink coat and shades at the club, and I've seen you with the Porsche, and you've had some nice cars. So talk to me a little bit about that good part of it. Yeah, but you also outgrow that too. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I I will say that that you know to be honest with you, Brett, that was all part of it. Uh, you know, coming in and you know especially back then, uh, you know certainly wasn't the money. Uh, that's out there today and you know and to to come up you know and, and to, to you know to have a few bucks in your pocket and, and to be able to you know go out and have a dinner or or to buy a car or to, you know rent a nice apartment or or whatever you know that that was all that was all part of that work ethic and and, and right. that willingness to you know to go out and give it everything and and, and to instead of playing only 35 weeks in a year i was willing to play another eight or ten weeks you know, to go and try to make a little more money back then. And, and so that I could, you know, kind of fill in and be a part of that, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and have some things that, uh, that, that I had never had before, but I had never, ever felt, uh, you know, to the point where, I, you know, I was comfortable, especially when I was playing, even though, uh, you know, my life was, it certainly was because, you know, I, I had a family, you know, I had a yeah. wife, I had, you know, my two kids and, we would travel and, and, uh, you know, all of us, and I certainly, you know, understood that, you know, that, you know, I had, you know, gotten to a different position, but I had always understood the value of a dollar. Yeah. I, I was taught that, you know, when I was coming up and especially when I came to California and, you know, what it took for, you know, your, your grandmother and your great grandmother to get me there, to make it possible for me to go and, and to, you know, and, and, and I always, you know, remember the one line that I was told and then, and then I want to say goodnight to you Okay, is I was always told if you, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. Right. That makes good sense to me. Yeah. Well, but, but no, I know a lot of people, it doesn't with the credit card era and all that stuff. I get yeah, it. It doesn't, it doesn't. And I've lived by that. I still live by that today. That's good. You know, to you know, to the point where you know, I I don't I don't ever want to feel uncomfortable in that situation again. I had been through that, uh, not having anything, and and uh, uh, and and I, I don't want to feel that again. I forgot about this story. I got to get your take on this. Have you seen this story about the missing submarine, the ocean? I have. Ocean I've Gate been watching Titans that with great interest. Ocean Gate's Titan submersible. <laughs> This, yes. th- this story is a little yeah. crazy, right? It's uh, there's five people, and what they say is a submersible. It it looks like a a, a tumbler, you know those tumbler drinks that we have with the right. you know the screw yeah. on top. It looks just like a tumbler on its side underwater, but it's been missing now. I think for for two days. Uh, we're recording this. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I went missing Monday. Now it's like this whole worldwide search. They've got people, coast guards from everywhere, Europe and and Boston. There's a lot of stuff going on there. And it's called into question a bunch of stuff. So there's five guys on it, a couple billionaires. One of the guys is Stockton Rush, the founder and CEO. So he's the guy. Right. Uh, I guess there's been a lot of warnings that the thing wasn't ready. They're going down to see the Titanic. 
That's the big thing. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially like a tourist thing. Like I'm out on vacation. I'm looking to do fun stuff out here in the, in the world over here in Europe, you know, looking for tours and stuff. I don't know if this is one I would book. When you look at the thing, five people in the, it looks like a coffin in the water. I mean, not to be right. deranged or anything. And the, he's charging people 250 K per passenger to do this thing. And one of the people who is missing is a British billionaire uh, from Pakistan. Also, uh, yeah. And his some, son, uh, right. Pakistani yeah. and his son. Yeah. You know, you wonder, uh, you know, you go down there and, and you're only supposed to be down there for how long? I don't really know. But, uh, you know, what what about, you know, the the temperature of the water, 30, 30, 31 degrees. And, and if you're inside that, doesn't condensation get in there? What about like farting or like going to the bathroom? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about eating? What about drinking? Right. The air is running out. So like, are you sitting there? Are you sitting there looking at the other guys across from you? Like, stop taking deep breaths, motherfucker. You know, like what's going on? Imagine that. And then you're in, you're in a confined space. You know, you're on the, ba well, on the ground. I guess they're, they're, right now the report is that they've heard banging so that there's, there's yeah. banging picked up. Like maybe that they're hitting on the side of the hull or something with a wrench. I mean, it's a sad story, but it's also a little weird. Like it's like kind of a, an ego check story where like, what's going on here, guys? Like, you know, you sure you're good to go all the way down there with that tumbler? I'm not, I'm not that much of a thrill seeker, uh, you know, to, to even want to consider doing anything like that. But I am going to say this, the Titanic, I mean, can't you leave that alone? I mean, it's got bad I mean, vibes a, around it. Well, but it's also, I mean, you know, many, many people, you know, died on, on that. Uh, and it's almost like a, you know, a burial. Right. Wouldn't it be better just to, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a thrill seeker. I don't want to go down and see that and, and all that, but I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just a, somebody giving you my views that I, that I, I think that something like that should be left alone and, right. and, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for what it was. It's yeah. been many, many years anyway. It's been the British, like 100 years. Yeah, anyway. more than, yeah, 113 years. British billionaire Hamish Harding is uh, one of the other guys. This was a little weird part of the story. He has a stepson, Brian Szasz. I'm butchering that name. But uh, he made the news because during all of this, he put out a tweet that says, you know, Hamish, my stepdad is lost in the submarine thoughts and prayers that generic line, that the rescue mission will be successful. So he puts that out. Later in the day, goes to a Blink-182 concert. You see this? And not only goes to the concert, posts a picture of him in front of, like, the generic, like, uh, merchandise tent. Like, not even the, the stage or, like, with a, one of the guys in the band. It's, like, the merch tent. He's sitting there with, like, an old burnout Blink-182 shirt from, like, 1999 when he was a little skinnier. And then he puts out this tweet. It might be distasteful being here, but my family would want me to be at the Blink-182 show as it is my favorite band and music helps me in difficult times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess everybody has different ways dealing with tragedies. Right. I saw somebody on Twitter was like, somebody's thinking about the inheritance already. <laughs> right. Oh boy. <laughs> Holy Christ. All right. All right. You can wrap us up now. Go ahead. Thanks for the questions. And you know, we, uh, I just want to say one thing before we go, I had a great picture a couple of weeks ago and I want to say it and I, I've forgotten their names now, but they sent me a picture and I think it was in Heathrow Airport uh, that they had taken like 44 years ago or 40 years ago, something like that, and kind of put it up and they reached out. And, and 
I told them, I said, follow us. I want to talk about it, but I want to just, you know, shout it out to them. Thanks for keeping the picture, first of all. And, you know, it's been uh, been many years and great memories. And, uh, you know, thanks for, you know, continuing to, uh, you know, to hopefully like tennis, be a part of tennis and, and also follow us on, uh, on our podcast. That's at ADV Connors. Ooh. You can follow me at Jimmy Connors on Twitter. You can follow you at Brett underscore Connors on mm-hmm. Twitter. And uh, let's see. Uh, how do I do? Any that good? sounds pretty good. You can follow uh, Bella at Gold Dude Isabella. Jimmy on Facebook. And that's it. I'll be tweeting stuff from the road. I'm still out here for a couple more weeks. Uh, not going to tell you where I'm going next. I'm just going to let it sneak up on us all because I'm not sure I know. I still got to book some of my uh, <laughs> some of my flights and arrangements. And, and Melina gets to go home and have a break. And I'm going to go do a little uh, solo traveling on the road. So I love you. Go get some rest. Uh, give Send me a picture of Isabella and tell mom hi. And I will talk to you and everyone out there soon. Peace. Peace. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.